This conversation originally aired on Koinonia, which can be heard Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360 in Phoenix or online at faithtalk1360.com. It is time for a look at books here on Koinonia, and towards the beginning of the year, I had endeavored to uh, enlist the uh, skills and input from Tevi Troy, whom I met when I was co-hosting with my good friend Seth Leipson, who's over on 960 The Patriot. And uh, Tevi, among all the wonderful things he's done uh, in government and writing books himself, I was immediately drawn to him because he reads voraciously. I mean, if there is a good book to be had and I need one now, I can send him a text and he can give me three that he's probably read in the last month. So, Tevi, welcome back to Koinonia. Well, thanks so much, Tommy. You know, we may have taken a break from uh, reviewing, but I have not taken a break from reading. So ready to go. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. <laughs> and I could, uh, if you've taken a, a vacation, that means you're, you've probably doubled your reading. But uh, there's still some people uh, here in Phoenix because by the time it gets to August, that's when people say, even if they haven't taken a summer vacation, I just got to get out of town, uh, even if it's not a vacation. And uh, let's give them some good reading to, to send them off with. What, if, what are some things that maybe we haven't uh, heard about or uh, maybe it's just something we should be reading that we don't know about? Yeah, well, there's one book that I, I just read that really stuck out with me, especially with the recent tragedy in, in Chattanooga, with the uh, what may have been or is likely to have been a terrorist attack. There's a book called Heretic by Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, Hirsi Ali may have read her stuff before, but she is someone who grew up within Islam and saw some of the problems within Islam and became a critic of Islam, which has led to her getting death threats and having to leave the Netherlands, which is where she was living for a while, and she now lives here in the U.S., and she argues that Islam effectively needs a reformation. Mm. You know, Christianity went through reformation with Martin Luther, and there were some tumults that followed afterwards, but sure. as a result, I think uh, the world is a better place because of that reformation. And, uh, and she talks about the different types of people within Islam, those who are uh, implacably our enemy, those who are, are not necessarily uh, an enemy but are um, unwilling to criticize the enemy, and then there are those who are looking for reform. And she says we need to encourage that group that's looking for reform. And it really is something that uh, even Dr. Zudi Jasser, who is a, a good friend with Seth and also the radio station, who is a Muslim, who talks frequently about this is not right. This is not uh, this is not our faith when uh, things of this uh, nature happen. And he's he's trying and he is the first to criticize uh, Muslims. And that, I think, is, well, for one, as you mentioned, it's dangerous because you do not uh, you do not criticize in any way, shape, or form, but it's also something that we, uh, as Christians, we kind of need to know what's going on in the minds and hearts. Sometimes that we won't necessarily get that story, certainly not from the media. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, she cites Dr. Jasser as one of the people who is looking for this reformation, who is trying to re- reform Islam, and at, at uh, personal peril to himself. Tevi, what's something else that uh, we should be reading? Uh, well, related to that book, uh, sort of a, a flip side of it is, is a book by Michael Morell called The Great War of Our Time. And he was the deputy director of CIA, and he was uh, the, the briefer 
uh, for President Bush during 9-11 and the period leading up to it. And he talks about uh, just what a difficult war this is in terms of fighting radical Islam and the uh, and so some of the great patriots we have working at CIA and the defense establishment, uh, but also some of the challenges we have and how sometimes we're not always uh, keeping our eye on the ball as much as we should. So it's the, the Great War of Our Time by Michael Morell. The Great War of Our Time, and with modern technology, it's harder to do some of the things that we've done. And now you start getting uh, called into question the ethics uh, of a lot of these things because – well, other countries are catching up to our technology, and so our efforts are exposed. Whether our efforts are ethical or not sometimes obviously uh, gets battered around in the media. But uh, having somebody that's been on the inside can truly give us some real applicable insight to this. Yeah, and, and uh, he talks about how big the national security establishment is, but even so it's just not big enough to cover the number of potential uh, radicals who are, are out there, and, and ISIS has been very good at using social media and encrypted social media in order to reach out to a wide variety of people, and possibly even this this terrorist murderer from yesterday, uh, who possibly from Arizona, another from here. So it's something that we need to be aware of. Now I'm going to take a little bit of a break here. We we're not necessarily going to uh, leave at all, but you read some fiction, some just stories now and again too, right? Oh, yeah, I actually have a great novel to recommend. Uh, it's called Look Who's Back, and it's written in German initially, but there's, it's been recently translated to English by a guy named Vermes, V-E-R-M-E-S, and it imagines Hitler reawakening in Germany of today. Wow. And he uh, gets a job as a, a Hitler impersonator. People don't realize he <laughs> is actually Hitler, and he gives... Uh, and most of the book takes in the mind, place in the mind of Hitler. So he talks about uh, driving around through Berlin thinking he's lost and going around in circles until he realizes that Herr Starbuck owns many coffee shops. Oh, boy. That sounds like a delightful read, actually. It is very entertaining. All right, Tevi, we've got, uh, we're about halfway through here. What are some other books that we should uh, uh, put on our reading list this summer? Well, I read a book by Joseph Ellis, who writes a lot about the founders. And this book is called The Quartet. And it talks about a little discussed aspect of the founding. In between the Declaration of, Re of Independence and the Constitution, we had this period of the Articles of Confederation. Mm -hmm. And they were a failure, but people don't really talk about it that much. And it was not necessarily either obvious or easy that we got to the point where there was a Constitution. He talks about four people who made that transition from Articles of Confederation, which was a, a, a collection of 12, 13 loosely affiliated states, to the, the national government under the Constitution. And he talks about how John Jay, George Washington, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton made that happen. And without their efforts, it would not have happened. It's a very good, very, uh, roughly short, about 250 pages, but a very good read. Uh, and I'm a huge advocate, and I need to do more myself, but uh, we need to remember the, the price that was paid and the work that was done to found this country because, you know, with the Supreme Court and the legislative branches doing what they're doing to just kind of, uh, that was for then. It really wasn't. They were really trying to get to the foundation of truth that could be built on, and it proved to be valuable for hundreds of years. And if we don't know history, if we don't know the efforts and the, the work that went into all this, it's easy to just dismiss it. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Tommy. And one of the things you get from reading this book, The Quartet by Ellis, is the sense of how important the Constitution is in establishing the country we have and just how it's not something that should be sneezed at or laughed at or dismissed, where, you know, sometimes you have people today say, oh, well, the Constitution is you know, what we want it to be, whatever we can get, whatever power we have will allow us to get the results we want. That's not what the Constitution is. It is a system that was intentionally set out to limit government and to say that there are certain things it can do and there are certain things it cannot do. I think uh, part of the uh, swearing into office would be you have to recite the Constitution. I mean, that I, right? I mean, the, the whole thing or just the preamble? <laughs> I, I, I think if you're going to be paid for what, $190,000 for the rest of your life, if you make two terms, I think uh, we're, we're not asking too much to have you make sure that by heart, you know, this document. Yeah, it's just my yeah, opinion. It, it's a good point. And the thing that the, uh, I mean, when you watch Supreme Court arguments and the, the, the number of cases that they know and the constitutional law they know and the constitution itself they know it is impressive but they don't always necessarily come out with the the, the right answers and sometimes it's because of uh, insufficient fealty to the constitution mm-hmm. and uh, i'll be honest uh, sometimes i'd be even happy if they could just recite the ten commandments but none yeah that would be pretty good too although <laughs> i don't know if they're allowed to on public property <laughs> they probably can't uh, it's certainly uh, not with their hand on the holy book i'm sure what else do we need to read uh, well, uh, a lighter read uh, is by a, a friend of mine and also of our mutual friend Seth Leibson is uh, Dana Perino's book, And the Good News Is. Mm. And Dana talks about her time in the White House, how she got to be the press secretary to the President of the United States, which is something she never expected in life, um, how important uh, her, her parents were. So she talked about how her dad would make them sit down around the dinner table and talk about the articles that were in the newspaper that day. She would talk about the, the Denver Post and, mm-hmm. and have to defend her positions. And she said that was very useful for her, uh, her life later as a press secretary. But she also gives advice mostly to women, but also uh, I think to everybody that you can use in the workplace for, for getting ahead. One thing that I like is just stop using exclamation points. They're not professional. That's right. Uh, you may want to use it one time for emphasis, but a, a, an email filled with exclamation points will not convince your boss that you're a serious person. I It's so funny. Now, Dana was actually on uh, Arizona Politics and Culture with Seth and I when she was writing that, and she was talking a little bit about and that was one of the stories. And then the exclamation point. I have a friend on Facebook that is a journal, former journalist, and he used to work with Focus on the Family, lots of stuff, and he actually had a literal rule of you're allowed one exclamation point a month in any yeah. story you turn in, period. If you can't use words to create energy, then you need to go rewrite it, and I just thought that was funny. And it's so funny because I don't even post on Facebook now without going, Okay, do I really need to use this? <laughs> when I was in the White House, uh, there was a person who I worked with who used exclamation points all the time. And um, my, my assistant, my staff, would all just laugh at this guy and his use of exclamation points. I'm sure he'd be mortified to know it, but uh, it, it just does not convey seriousness. And the other thing, it's, kinda, it, it, it's not as bad as all caps, but it has that same uh, grading feel for uh, people of uh, real substance, I think. Uh, Tevi, we've got just a little over a minute left. Do you have another book that you think we should be reading? Uh, well, I am reading right now, but I haven't quite finished it. I will finish it this this weekend. A book called Reagan at Reykjavik by Ken Edelman, who was there at Reykjavik as the, the head of the Arms Control uh, and Disarmament Agency, and he talked about the importance of Reagan's 
uh, willingness and ability to say no to a bad deal and his willingness to walk away. And uh, I think with the events of this week and the Iran deal, uh, I think uh, our current uh, leaders could take a, a lesson in how to negotiate from Reagan. You know, when I was uh, uh, having been at the Reagan Museum and reading the speech that he gave there in Berlin and the one that uh, all the you know, his publicity people had worked on, and then the one that uh, he actually used with his own, he kept putting back his words back in there uh, that were much stronger than what anybody thought was possible. It's amazing if you really will try to, you know, deal from a position of strength instead of capitulating and feeling like, oh, I might uh, possibly, uh, you know, make a mistake here or whatever it is and show that weakness, it's amazing what you can actually get done if you show with strength. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. In fact, uh, with, with Reagan's famous phrase, the evil empire, yeah. uh, the speechwriters put that phrase in. The State Department kept trying to take it out, and it just dance went on back and forth until Reagan put his foot down and said, I want that phrase. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> All right, Tevi, uh, now that I'm back to better health and uh, getting things done a little better, let's have you back again next month, find out, because I know you'll have another handful of books for us to read. Always happy to do it. All right. Thanks, Tevi. Thank you. For questions or comments, please email tom at faithtalk1360.com. That's tom at faithtalk1360.com.